Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now bringing this week's message, our minister to students, Tony Richmond. If you would open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 will be our text this morning, looking specifically at verses 5 through 7. If I had to give the sermon this morning a title, we'd call it The Christ of Christmas. For those of us who've grown up um, in the church, we've become pretty familiar with all of the characters of the Christmas story, right? We I've heard of all the perspectives about what happened on that day with Mary. Um, we have a song, Mary, Did You Know? So we contemplate what Mary knew. We, you all know the answer is she knew, right? The angel told her. But to what extent did Mary understand all that was within her womb and everything that would happen. We've heard ser- sermons and stories and perspectives about Mary and about Joseph. Well, what would it have been like to be this young man who had never had intimacy with his wife and yet she gets pregnant and all of the, the chatter in the community about everybody knows how that happens, right? And so how he must have felt going into this birth You have the perspective of the angels and the shepherds who are out in the field. You have the perspective of the wise man who, right, we know they didn't come to the manger. Jesus was a little older, but we have all that perspective. Some of us have heard crazy sermons like from the perspective of the donkeys and from the sheep, and you're not going to get one of those today, right? So... Don't worry. But we've heard, we're familiar with all of the characters related to what's going on on Christmas. However, maybe we've never stopped to consider what is Jesus' perspective on what happened at Christmas? What, was, what are Jesus' thoughts about exactly what happened when he took on flesh? So that's what we're going to look at this morning are the thoughts from Jesus himself about what is Christmas all about, the Christ of Christmas. Now, I need to give you a little disclaimer here. If you're here this morning and you're hoping for a little fuzzy nugget so you can check this off your list and go on with the rest of your day, you're going to be disappointed because what we're going to see in this text are some of the deepest hard-hitting truths really in all of the scripture. And would you all agree with me this morning that we don't need a little fuzzy. We need the truth of Jesus to impact our hearts and our souls. That's what we're going to get from God's word, okay? Let's read it together. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 5. Scripture says this, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, So we're qualified for a Christmas sermon. When Christ came into the world, that's what we're talking about 
on Christmas Day. He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. If you have um, ever studied this whole book of Hebrews, you know that this book of Hebrews is the most Old Testament book in the New Testament. In fact, you can hardly read two or three verses before you either come to a direct quote or in a, in at least an allusion to the Old Testament scriptures. And so all throughout you have this author who's using the Old Testament principles to set the stage for the explanation of who Jesus really is and what the gospel is all about. Flip back just for a moment to Hebrews chapter 1. Right at the very beginning of this book, the author explains the main theme of what he's talking about. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, he says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the author says, here's what we're talking about. Long ago, God spoke. Now this is huge, right? This is what we call God's revelation. The fact that God has spoken to us. So this is huge. Were it not for God speaking to us, we would not know God, right? And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is, praise be to God, he's revealed himself. But most specifically, how God has revealed himself is through the person and work of Jesus. Because he goes on to say at the, the end of verse 3, after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand. So the whole book is about God's revelation of himself through the redemption that's found in Jesus. So with that context, then we start thinking about, okay, then how does that relate to Hebrews chapter 10, where Jesus is speaking and talking about what he said when he came into the the world? In this passage in Hebrews 10, Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 40. So if you flip back to Psalm 40, you will see that Jesus is almost verbatim quoting this Psalm of David. And for some, this seems a little odd, right? How can it be true that this was actually 
things that David said were true of himself, and yet Jesus is going on to say, this is actually fulfilled in him. But that's one of the great things about Old Testament truth, especially Old Testament prophecies, is that times they can sort of have a dual application. So in Psalm 40, these things were generally true for David. However, David was just a foreshadow to the true king who would come in the person of Jesus. So that's what Jesus is telling us. This one that was promised, this one that David even spoke of, that God promised to David that his kingdom would never end is found within me. So he goes and he starts quoting this passage. And within this quiet passage, we see Jesus's view of Christmas. So the first point, I don't know if any of you picked up an outline this morning. There are some available. If you did, just make sure you're on the right side because Dr. Wright's also preaching from Hebrews. So don't get mixed up. I'm in Hebrews 10. All right, so if you are following on the Hebrews, here's the first point that Jesus makes. He talks about his person at the end of verse 5. Jesus makes this statement. A body you have prepared for me. Jesus is speaking to God, the Father, and he's saying God has prepared this physical body for Jesus. This is an incredible truth because in this truth what we have is God the Father taking initiative to come to people through the person of Jesus. The preparation and the sending of the incarnate Christ. This is incredible news. Why? Because this speaks against all other religions in the world. Every other religion in the world says this, get yourself together, do these things by doing this checklist of things, you can get yourself together, and then once you have yourself together, you present yourself to God, and God looks at you, and He's pleased by what He sees. Christ says, no. The only way for us to be pleased, pleasing in the sight of God the Father is for Jesus to take our place. And so this incredible truth that Jesus has come in bodily form so that he could take our place, so that we wouldn't have to be on sort of this journey of trying to get our act together, that Jesus does it for us. And then when we go to God, he is finding favor because of what Jesus has done. John chapter 1, verse 14, a familiar passage says this, that the Word, Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us. Remember in the Old Testament, that picture of the tabernacle where the presence of God actually dwelt And as they moved from place to place, they would have to take down the tabernacle, go to the next place, set it up. Then the Spirit of God, the the presence of God would reside. 
John in John 1.14 says, look, in the person of Jesus, this is how God has made his presence known in our life. It's through the incarnate Christ. This is an incredible truth. Remember what the angels said to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, that they shouldn't be afraid. The angel said, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, listen to this, there has been born for you a Savior. Did you hear that? A Savior has been born for us. That is the reason that we're here after all. Because we believe that this baby, that this body that was prepared for Jesus, although in some sense all of us have a body that was prepared by God or else we wouldn't exist, that the body that was prepared by the Father for Jesus was for the express purpose of God saving people. That's the truth. That's the gospel. Look in, back in verse 5 of Hebrews 10. It says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body prepared for Me. Remember this. Remember that back in the Old Testament, there was this sacrificial system where they would go out and they would take these barnyard-type animals and they would kill them and they would have to put them on the altar to sort of make some sense of forgiveness and how God could forgive them would cost this animal this life. But at the same time, in all of those sacrifices, what Jesus says, what the Bible teaches, is that they didn't have the power to take away any of our sin. It wasn't in them. They were simply a shadow of Jesus who would come and would be the once for all sacrifice for that sin. The truth behind what Jesus is saying here is that we must look at Jesus' atoning work on the cross to understand what Christmas is all about. We cannot understand his birth without understanding his death. In those Old Testament days with the sacrificial system, it was a lot different, right? One of the incredible truths about the gospel and about the sacrifice that Jesus made is this. In the Old Testament, they didn't ask for volunteers. Right? It's not as if they went into the cave or the barn or whatever and said, hey, are you goats? Like, we're looking for a volunteer. One of you's got to die. Who's ready? Right? They went in. They found the pure one. And there was no back and forth. They just did it, right? The incredible truth about the gospel, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus was not forced to do something he didn't want to do. Jesus came willingly. The scripture says in Philippians 2, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant that he may lay his life down 
the body of Christ, the body prepared for him. Maybe you've heard time and time again about this work of Jesus. Maybe you're here on Christmas Day and you've heard these things, you've tried, but what continues to happen is you're left empty. You hear this great news, you think you understand it or believe it, but every time you think there's been a change, you continually feel this emptiness in your life that you just can't figure out what it's about. Well, you're not alone. You're not alone in that because look in chapter 10, verse one and two. Look at what it says. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, look at this, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. That's it. He's saying, in the Old Testament, we used to do all these ceremonial things, and yet we would walk away from these ceremonies, sacrificing animals, doing the good things, and there was still this sin that was burnt into our conscience, conscience that we couldn't get away from. The good news is that when Jesus comes, that's what he does. It's not this ceremonial come to church on Christmas. It's not this ceremonial do the good things. It is the actual incarnation, God himself taking on flesh, living a perfect life, going to the cross, willingly laying his life down for us, for sinners. That is the great story of the Bible. And sometimes, maybe we fail to understand that. Maybe that news becomes so familiar to us that our hearts become a little dull to the depth, to the, the truth about what this gospel is all about. Have you ever experienced God in this way? that he's come to save you and to redeem you as a loving father does to his children. God came to us and brought us unto himself. We were alienated from God and there was nothing we could do to get there. I remember I grew up in Western Kentucky and uh, my granddad used to sing this song at our church. Some of you may know it, but it said something about when I couldn't get to where he was, he came to me. That is the truth of the gospel. We cannot get to where he is. The only hope that he ha we have is for him to come to us, and that's what he's done in Christ. And yet, how is it then that this can be a glorious gospel? These truths can be such good news. And maybe for us, the response in our hearts when those truths come up on the screen and we're singing together is somewhat empty. It's somewhat dull. 
We sing about joy to the world. The Lord has come with this dullness, with this lack of emotion, with this sort of sense that, oh, we've heard that. And without really grasping in our hearts, this is why we are here to worship. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, God is pleased to pardon those who believe, even though we deserve condemnation. May we come and may our hearts actually believe the words that we say when we say, bless the Lord, all my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name, joy to the world, the Lord is come. May those words not just be words on our tongues, but truths in our hearts that change our lives. That's the gospel. Jesus goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 6, In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will. As it is written of me, in the scroll of the book. This book, this plan, is all about Jesus. I think some people sort of have this skewed view that God sort of tried one thing in the Old Testament and in the garden and all that with the animals, and that didn't work out, so he had to send Jesus. Look, the story of the Bible is that from the very beginning to the very end, it's all pointing to Jesus. That's what he says at the, well, in my Bible, it might be a little different because there's a translation, right? So yours may be parenthetical right at the beginning of verse 7. In the ESV, it's at the end. Jesus says, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus is telling us this story of God find its fulfillment and finds its theme in Jesus himself. It's not as if Jesus was some plan B, some backup plan when plan A didn't go as God had expected it. From before time, God set into motion this story of himself that would culminate in the work, the coming, the death, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus. The time had come. Over half of our Bible is saying, get ready, the time is coming. Look, these are the kinds of things you need to be looking for. And on Christmas, we celebrate that the Scripture says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. This is God's plan. This is God's story from before time found in the work and the person of Jesus. But not only that, Jesus makes this incredible statement. Verse 7, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. This is the purpose of Christ. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. I know a lot of you have had the experience of having children, right? We have these children and we look at them. We have incredible plans for their lives, right? Some of us have plans like this. This little baby will grow up and they will go to this school 
and they will call themselves an Aggie, and they will be brainwashed. I mean, they will be enthusiastic and passionate about all things Aggie. And this is like people from like young age, they're buying their kits, A&M onesies and painting their room, their color, their room maroon, like all of this. We have, or we say, this child's gonna grow up and if you come from Western Kentucky like me, it's you do whatever your dad did. So if your dad was the banker, guess what you are gonna be when you grow up? So we look at our kids and it's like we have these incredible plans that they grow up, but sometimes our kids don't always follow those plans, right? I mean, God forbid that baby Aggie will grow up and give his parents one of these, right? That's like the ultimate insult that can never happen because no, you're an Aggie, you can't go to the other side, like the dark side. But we've, we've had experiences like that as parents. We want our kids to do this or do that. And at times, they take their own way. They grow up. They do their own thing. And yet for Jesus, the uniqueness of his coming and his work was very clear to him, even at a very early age. I want you to see this. Look over in Luke chapter 2. Um, I apologize to Brother Keith because he's going to get to this in a couple weeks. Just act like you haven't heard it in a while when he gets to it. Luke chapter 2 verse 48. This is the story about when Jesus' parents had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the feasts. And after the celebration, they had left to go back home. And evidently, there was a large group that they were traveling with. So they leave Jerusalem. They think Jesus is just with the group somewhere, being a 12-year-old kid. And so they get home. They realize Jesus isn't here, right? Maybe some of us parents have had that. Like, you think one of them's picking them up from church, the other one, and you get halfway home and, oh no, Caleb's still in the nursery. Right? Somebody, like that, that's the experience they had. They get home, there's no Jesus. So they go back. It took them three days, the Bible says. They finally find Jesus in the temple of all places. And look in verse 48, Luke chapter 2, 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. If my kid was gone for three days, I don't know that that would describe me, right? Frantic, about to discipline them to death. Something like, they were astonished. Here's why. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he, Jesus, said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is 12-year-old Jesus understanding the reason that he had come was to do the will of the heavenly father. It's funny, this week I saw a cartoon and it was these three women riding on a donkey and on the back the donkeys had bumper stickers, right? Like some of our cars do. And one of them was like, my son is an honor student. 
And this, the one in the middle said, my son is an Eagle Scout. And on the last one, it was Mary and said, my son is God. Right? Like, that's the ultimate, like, boom in your face. Like, you can't make up a bumper sticker better than that. But that's exactly what Jesus understood, even from early on, that the reason he had come was to fulfill the Father's purpose for him, the purpose of reconciling sinful humanity to a holy and righteous God. Jesus prayed, we know the story, before he went to the cross in the garden. He prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus was consumed of doing the will of the Father. Now, why in the world will we talk about these things on Christmas morning? The work of Christ, the story of the Bible, and Jesus doing the will of the Father. Well, brothers and sisters, the truths, these truths are of most importance, especially in our culture. The war on Christmas is not simply about taking someone's name out of a holiday or being politically correct. The point is that going into the year 2017, the issues of Christian doctrine, the issues of who Jesus is, why Jesus came, how Jesus achieved, and why all of this that we do at this church and all of this that we talk about, why does any of it matter? Those are the battles that will be fought this year in our culture, in our lives. And unless you and I have a deep conviction about who this person is that we claim to follow, we will be marginalized, we will be washed away, and we will be rendered useless. The message of Christmas today for us is this. May we stand firm in the truth of Jesus. May we leave today encouraged by the work that Jesus has done on the cross for us. May we truly rejoice and celebrate in those facts. May we remain students of His story, His Word, in order to understand His plan. And may we follow our Savior to do the will of the Father for His honor and glory. Merry Christmas. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You that Your story is bound up in this second person of the Trinity who would leave the glories of heaven and empty Himself in order that He may lay down His life for us. God, I would pray that if there's a person in this worship center this morning that has never surrendered their life to you. Maybe they've never understood the truth about Jesus coming and taking their place so that their sins could be forgiven. God, if, 
Your spirit is working in their heart this morning. God, I pray that they would surrender to you, that they would repent, that they would turn from their sin, that they would believe in these truths about Jesus with the kind of belief that would set them on a course of, of um, in lifelong service to Him. And Lord, for the rest of us, God, forgive us of becoming dull to these truths. God, sometimes we hear them so many times that they sort of become old news. God, and that's sinful, that's awful. God, help us with renewed vigor every day to understand the depths of these truths that we may go and live for you. God, we thank you for Christmas. If there were no Christmas, there'd be no death, there would be no sacrifice, and there'd be no resurrection, and we'd have no hope. So God, we praise you for who you are. Thank you again for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.